I'm going to come down here for a minute. Um, probably not going to sing tonight, but I do want to tell you a little bit about my guitar. And Keith certainly has discernment because he recognized it when I brought it in. I don't think he saw it for about 15 years or something. But uh, this is my gospel guitar. And I use this a lot of times. Uh, I'll be somewhere and I take it out of the case. I'm getting brave now. I'm starting to uh, to go into restaurants and sing for my, my supper. I take my guitar with me and sometimes they say, do you play that? And I say, yes, would you like to hear it? So I take it out and start singing in the restaurant. So we were in a restaurant in Athens, Maine, Papa Joe's, and um, I took my guitar case with me. I think the pastor was a little bit uneasy about it. And when I took it in the restaurant, he said, I'll go check with the ownership and see if you can play that. So when he came back with the permission, I was already in my second song. But <laughs> And I went visiting with Carol Hill. You know how he does it. He just, we went on Burn Church Reservation. He knocked on every door and he would say, you want to hear a song? And they'd say, yep. So then we'd go. And uh, I'd sing a song and we'd tell them all about Christ every single home. That's a great way to evangelize. I think I'm going to start doing it in our area. And I've just got enough nerve to try, probably try Tim Hortons in town in the next couple of weeks here. I'm going to take my guitar in and sing there. But, you know, I was, uh, when I was uh, teaching, let me see, I was pastoring, I guess, when this happened, there was a guy uh, at the Bible school who was, uh, he had a little church we started over in Newburgh. We opened up an old church that was full of grain and started holding meetings. And so this student was uh, learning to preach. And so it was his turn to preach. I led the song service and I put my guitar against the front pew. And um, I went and sat on the back to take notes on his message. And as he was preaching, like he kind of come around the pulpit and he hit it and yell, and then he'd go around the other side and hit it and kick it and yell, and then he fainted. I saw his eyes turn back in his head, and he went right back on top of my guitar. And, I mean, he hit so hard that I saw his feet come up over the front pew from the back. It scared living daylights out of me. I mean, I ran down there as fast as I could because that was the best guitar I had. And then <laughs> when I got down there, uh, he wasn't doing too good either, and we couldn't find a pulse, and called the ambulance, came right in in the middle of the morning service, carried the preacher out. And so I looked at my guitar, it was broken a thousand pieces, literally. It was just, there was no hope of ever having it repaired. And my wife said, why don't you find a guitar? Why don't you buy a new one? You've never really bought very much since we've been married. So why don't you buy yourself a guitar? And I began to look for someone who might build a guitar for me. And I found this man named John Larivee. And uh, we discussed how it would be built. The last thing we argued about was an eagle on the headstock. And I said, it has to have an eagle here on the headstock. And he said, why does it have to have an eagle? And I told him that um, it was important that it did. I wasn't too sure why, but it had to have an eagle. Anyway, after he began to build the thing, I woke up in the middle of the night one night, and the whole idea came to me as to why this guitar had to be built like it was. You see... This is not just a guitar that I went out and found in the woods and said, isn't it interesting, this used to be a twig about four billion years ago. I mean, it had a very specific builder and designer. John Larrave is one of the top builders in the world. And so we just did not evolve over a period of time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This guitar, like most other guitars, has six strings, six little holes here to put it in, six tuning pegs up here. And, and the Bible numbers are significant. The number of God is number seven. The number of man is six, indicating that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then you notice that the corner here is, is, is cut off. 
And it speaks how because of our sin, the Lord Jesus would come. And Isaiah said he grew up as a root out of dry ground and he was cut off for the sins of his people. The back is made out of redwood, indicating the blood of Christ in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And the top is made out of Sitka spruce. It's a little bit tan now from doing outside things with it. But when it arrived, it was very, very white in color. And so the blood of Christ that washes away our sin. And by faith in him, we are made whiter than snow. Now, you can't see it, but this has a pick guard. It kind of goes around here. You can hear it a little bit as I put my finger over it. It goes out here, around here, and comes back here and up here to protect or to seal my guitar from beating a hole through it. And the Bible says that when we are saved, we are sealed by God's Holy Spirit onto the day of redemption. And then this uh, has a little pattern that opens up, a little flower that opens up here on the neck. And the Bible teaches us that we are to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And so that's important for us. Now, these things are called frets. When we as pastors do that, it's called concern. When you do it, it's called sin and very worry. It <laughs> gets you in trouble. But isn't it neat that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles and fly. I just looked at it recently. It's probably worth about $6,000. Now, they, they get... Uh, better value as they age when, when you make them out of good wood and so it but absolutely useless to me if every single time I want to use it it doesn't respond to me and how frustrating it must be to the God of heaven to have paid such tremendous price for us and have us be absolutely useless to him because he can't use us when he wants to and so that's the story of my gospel guitar you can come and look at it if you're not a fainter, all right? And so, uh, and I just want to do this before I speak. This strap was made by the Cree people for me. And I think I'm, I have a song that I've written called a white man, a red man dressed in white. I believe I'm a native at heart, I have to be. I love our native people. And they built this for me, uh, all handcrafted. And uh, I, I want to give this to you. Uh, as, as a little token, I've, I've been watching you from a distance, and I appreciate your testimony, your love for the Lord, and the way you respect your family. And so I, uh, a little something each time you, if you look at it and you pray for me, that would be well worth it. So, hey, God bless you. If you turn your Bibles to the book of Haggai tonight, please. I, uh, if you want to sing, we'll sing afterwards, all right? And thanks for being so gracious and kind to us today we have appreciated our time here it's always a blessing to be this close to home and be able to get home afterwards uh, we don't see that a whole lot we've seen some neat things happen in the past little while some of the folks that you would know of course you know uh, the Lara base we had a chance to, to be with them and uh, we started in Niagara Falls uh, and then we went up to uh, administering in Hartford um, with Ralph Hamenga Waterford. I don't know if you know Ralph Hamenga, but Ralph was back here when I was there. He went on vacation. And wouldn't you know it, the church was pretty well filled that night, so I called the deacons together and said, I have a church growth program for you. Uh, send your pastor on vacation. <laughs> so, 
but uh, it was it was neat to see that and and up it with uh, we were at Barry Beatty in Waterloo and Mark Dale at uh, uh, Bruce Laidlaw. We were in Werner with a French pastor there. Had uh, some great meetings there, and then on to uh, the Sudbury area. Interesting little church up in Sprague that's been doing some neat things, and so we. And then back into Montreal, Sawyerville, and uh, back home this week. And Tuesday we have a funeral in Spring Hill, Nova Scotia, so we didn't get much of a chance to get recouped here. The Book of Haggai has been a book for me. You might have even heard me speak several times on the book. I don't know what it is about this book, but if there's a favorite Old Testament book, this has to be it. And a Hebrew scholar told me it is not Haggai, it is Haggai. So I've been calling him Haggai for so long that that's probably what he's going to get called tonight. But you know what? I've come to this book at several crucial times in my life. And God has always given me some things. When I came to Bible school, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I spent three years in grade eight. I mean, I wasn't the smartest tool in the shed. And I scared to death to come back to school because when I graduated from high school, I made a vow I'd never go to school again the rest of my life. I hated school with a purple passion. And then God began to deal with my heart when I got saved and I was in Amherst, Nova Scotia, and I was uh, running the Dixie Leaf Fried Chicken stores. We had three of them there. I had two partners that were connected with three other stores, uh, busy people. And when I got saved, I used to drive between my businesses and I would just yell at the Lord sometimes. Lord, there's people out there that are just as blind as I was, and you got to tell them. And I'd weep and weep and weep, and God said, why don't you tell them? And I said, does that mean going back to school? Yep, no way. Find somebody else. I just hated the thought of going to Bible school. Well, finally I get up the courage to put in my, uh, my uh, whatever I needed, all that paperwork. <laughs> and I uh, got my application in, and the mail went on strike. Nothing was going through. So I came up here, and I was in the J. Salim Hotel. And I got up in the morning, and my family was still sleeping, and said, God, today you got to make it real to me because... I just don't want to make a mistake. I hate school so bad that if you're not in it, I don't want to go back. You know, I get up in the motel room and two verses popped out to me. Verse 8 of chapter 1, go up to the mountain and bring wood. And then over in chapter 2, I read the entire book that morning. The glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord. And in this place will I give peace. I read those words and then I came down to the Bible school and... I remember Bob McNutt was there, and he took me out. He was the business manager. He took me out to see all the trailers, and nothing seemed to fit our family or our budget, one or the other. And finally, we went away back out to the hill country here in Heartland, mountains we call them. Um, and Ken Duffield was renting a little log cabin out there. He was the cook at the school, and he was leaving, and he said, if you're going to come up here, you'll have to bring wood. We don't have any wood here. And then we were looking for a place. We left a nice little home on the golf course back in Amherst, and this was a pretty nice little spot. And then I looked down at these two verses again. Go up to the mountain and bring wood, and the glory of the second shall be greater than the former. And I know some of you are going to say, boy, did you ever take that out of context. Listen, my mom has been getting answers to prayer from verses in the Old Testament that don't apply to her for years now. 
so uh, the Lord did re re guide me through that. Another time uh, at New Brunswick Bible Institute, I was really going through a difficult time and God directed me from this book. And recently, as a matter of fact, a lot last night on one of these areas we're going to look at tonight. But when you look, as we've traveled um, 5,000 kilometers in the past month, that it's discouraging to see overall picture of where we are as a church. I'm amazed at how we quibble over little things. And um, it's just amazing some of the issues that we would face as we travel in churches that are small things really compared to the big picture. You know, I was, I'm sure you've heard that story a dozen times about the guy that wants to have a, uh, just a man weekend and he loads his horse in the trailer and he's got his dog in the front seat of the half ton and they, they're just going out in the middle of nowhere to have a weekend. And he misses the turn and upsets the whole thing and the horse got a couple of broken legs and he's whining and the dog is whining and he's broken up and the driver is whining and the state trooper comes along and sees the horse, pulls out his revolver and puts the horse down. And he comes to the dog and he's whining and he put the dog down. He came to the guy and said, how are you doing? He said, I've never felt better in my whole life. And so it's how quickly sometimes our priorities can change. And so I start looking at this whole thing in terms of my vocation. When you think that there's no more evangelistic meetings going on very much in our churches anymore, not the way we used to do them, at least. And then you start thinking about your sanctification. And you go through this wicked, sinful old world, and it's not too hard to get dirtied up uh, as we live in a world around us. And you can still be a pretty good-looking Christian in this stinking world. And... Um, not have to necessarily be living all that great for the Lord. And then you examine the depth of your dedication to God. I'm 65 years old on December the 26th, if you would write that down, because I don't get any presents on December the 26th for my birthday. And so if you'd remember me this year, I would appreciate that. But as I began to flip through this book again, there's, there's four important questions here that, that, that I outlined the second time I went through it. And last night, one of those questions really came to me, and I want to share and concentrate on that. First of all, as you look down through the book, let's come down to the first question here. Found in verse 4 of chapter 1. Let's come back to verse 2 to pick up the context. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you... O ye to dwell in your sealed houses, it would be a luxurious house, and this house lie waste. In the margin of my Bible, I jotted this question down. Is it not time to deal with building? He asked them that here. They, if you look through the story, God's people have come back from Babylon. They began to build the temple, but you read in Ezra how the opposition came in, and the work ceased. And in that period of time, they got out of focus and began to build their own houses. Real nice-looking things while you looked over at God's house and it was pretty shabby. So is it not time in the hour in which we live to build? I believe the God of heaven wants the church to grow. 
Upon this rock, I will build my church. It's to be going ahead, to, to be expanding God's work. And so the second question, chapter 2, verse 3, as they began to build this temple and they compare it now with the old one, in verse 3 said, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison as if nothing? So he calls on them, if you look, how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes? And the question is, is it not time to deal with the blindness of our eyes? And then you come down to verse 10 of chapter 2. In the fourth and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Now, I want you to notice this, because this is what really rocked me last night. Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bears holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt does touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. It would be like me going and Dave Mead has a bad cold and I don't have any cold. And I come into his house. I do not transfer health to him. He transfers the cold to me. This priest, as he goes through, if he touches anything, it's not made holy. But if he touches a dead body, he everything he touches is defiled. And then it goes on to say, um, verse 13, Then said, Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body touches any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. And so the third question is, is it not time to deal with the bondage and the sin that so, so easily beset us? Then you come down to verse uh, number 15 in the same chapter. And now I pray you consider from this day, uh, let me see, uh, that's not where I want to go. Just one second here. Um, he says this, um, that uh, I'm in Zechariah here. I turned the wrong page here. So let, let me come back. And now I pray you consider from this day and upward before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. Since these days, when one came to a heap of 20 measures, there was but 10. When one came to the press fat to draw out 50 vessels of the press, there was but 20 you see the, 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 the productivity here is gone down. And then in verse 19 is, is the verse, is the seed yet in the barn? Isn't that a tremendous question? Is the seed yet in the barn? Now, I, I use the word broadcasting there to broadcast the seed that is in the barn. Now, there's a couple of ways we could look at that question. Is the seed yet in the barn? Have we got anything from the harvest to the barn? Or the other idea is that is the seed in the barn and it's not being planted? And so those four questions tonight, as we think about de dealing with that first question, is it not time to deal with building? Let's stop there and pray and ask the Lord just to give us uh, some insight tonight, some things that might be of a help to us. Our Father, tonight we thank you for the folks that have come out. And Lord, many, many Sunday nights across the land now, churches have closed up because of lack of attendance. And uh, not because of unsaved people, because of God's people haven't come out. 
And so tonight I thank you for a church that still has opened doors on a Sunday evening to honor you on this day that this is the day the Lord has made. And so I pray tonight, dear Holy Spirit, that you would help me to be a blessing and encouragement uh, to the folks who've come and give us some things that might really help us, Lord, in our personal lives, in our homes, in our churches, in our organizations or the businesses or the jobs in which we find ourselves. And we'll be careful to praise you in Jesus' name. Is it not time to deal uh, to, for you to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Is it not time to deal with building? What's the answer of the people? They say, uh, thus speak of the people, verse 2. They say, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And what had caused this to cease was the people had lost their focus. They just simply lost their focus. When they came back and began to build and the enemy came in, they shifted over to building their own house. They weren't necessarily in deep sin, but they certainly were out of focus. So they lost their focus. I jotted this down. Their focus was on their homes, their business, their lifestyle. All their energy and money was going into supporting a crazy, busy lifestyle that would not amount to anything but ashes in the light of eternity. And so it represents our hearts so much today. And then in verse 6, he says, You have sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. The clothes you wear, there's none that's warm. And he that earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. It's just like you come home and you have this bag where you put your money. And as you put your money into it, it's full of holes. Here's the electricity bill. Here's the car payment. Here's the four-wheeler payment. And all these things come out, and finally the bag is empty. It's just a bag full of holes. The, the life seems so meaningless. It's just You do this all the time. Not only had they gotten out of focus, but their fullness here. They weren't enjoying the abundant life. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. And I asked myself these questions. Is my life the abundant life that Christ came to bring, or is it the accumulation of things? Is my life delightful, or is my life drudgery? Is my life focused on Christ or on my own selfish ambitions? I jotted this down from a comment. Uh, comment uh, uh, let me see. Uh, I'm trying to find the reference. Let me read it for you. With these words, carnal Christians are reproved who have no glow of zeal for God but are full of self-love and so make no effort to repair, to build, or to strengthen the temples of God. He goes on to say, age, ruinous, decaying, or destroyed buildings are exchanged for curious, voluptuous, superficious, superficial dwellings. In these, the love of God glows not. Isaiah said this, Woe to you who join house to house and field to field and regard not the work of God. And so we're to build. The Lord certainly wants us to build strong personal lives. And uh, how is my Bible reading? How is my prayer life? How is my sharing my faith life? Can I see where erosion has taken place in those lives? God wants me to build a strong personal life. God wants me to build a strong family life, uh, a strong uh, family. Our kids uh, don't want to follow the Lord sometimes. Is it because they don't see reality in my life? 
Uh, is it because they see me missing church for any reason? We're to build a strong church. Upon this uh, rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So it's, is it not time to deal with building and growing? Is it not time to deal with the blindness next? I want to get to the third point here. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory, and do you, how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes? I underlined the word saw, see, and eyes. The church, the Bible says in the book of Revelation at the end time, will have major eye problems. It says in, in Revelation 3, verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich in white raiment, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear, and anoint thine eyes with salve. And when you study out this church in Laodicea, you would find this. The sheep on the hillsides were glossy, raven-colored beauties. And they were known for their, for, for their unbelievable fur uh, or their hair. And, and so he says here that he wants these people to be clothed. And then they, had, they would manufacture an eye salve in Laodicea that they would anoint eyes of people and they would be able to see better. Isn't it interesting that he writes to that church in that area, you have a problem with your eyes in the middle of a place that has, it's known famous for eye salve. And you are not clothed properly in an area that you're famous for your clothing. And so they had a problem with their eyes. And I jotted this down from a man named Trench. The Holy Spirit's unction is like the ancient eye salve. It first smarts with the conviction of sin, and then it heals. He opens our eyes, first of all, to our wretchedness, then to the Savior and His preciousness. And so he says, anoint your eyes with salve. Allow the Holy Spirit to come to us and to bring conviction in areas where I need to make some adjustments in my life so we don't see as we should. As you understand that we see men as trees walking. Now I know when the blind man opened his eyes and he saw people going and they had wood on their head, it would look like a tree walking. And I've wondered sometimes if we don't just simply look at people as being as worthless as a tree that's cut down and burned in the fire. We don't see as we need to. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and when he saw, he beheld a mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around him. We do need to have our eyes checked. The devil is the source of spiritual blindness, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who believe not. Now, what is, what is it that produces blindness in my life? And Second Peter chapter 2 says this, grow, and he listens and a number of things that were growing, growing virtue and knowledge and so on. Then he ends up in verse 9 by saying this, he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Did you ever come to someone and you say, are you saved? And they say, well, you know what? Um, I made a decision one time, but what is the reason for the doubt? It's because sometimes there hasn't been growth. I was uh, in a church one time and a pastor came and he said to me, I'm doubting my salvation. I was quite surprised by that. And then I said to him this, when you doubt your salvation, one of the reasons is you don't have it. Give me your testimony. And he did. Give me a clear-cut testimony. I said the second is that 
you don't grow. And I quoted him this verse in Peter. Are you growing? You're reading your Bible, praying? Yes, I am. The third reason that we would doubt our salvation is when sin comes in, we doubt our salvation. Do you have any sin in your life? And he looked down and he said, look at these twisted feet. I was coming home from shopping with my wife before Christmas and a drunk came across the center line and hit her vehicle and I will never walk properly again. Why would God do that to a man who has faithfully followed him and served him all of these years? And my answer to him was simply freedom of choice. What do you mean, freedom of choice? God has given to us freedom of choice. That man chose to go to that tavern. That man chose to get drunk. That man chose to pick up his keys and drive his car home. And he hit you, not God. And so a lack of growth produces blindness in our lives. The good life can produce blindness. I wish I could take you in a couple of weeks' time to the North Country, up amongst the Cree people, where people have labored for years. You're never going to see this on television because CBC will not broadcast this because they'd have to give the glory to God. But when you take Davis Inlet with the gas sniffing and the alcoholism and you move into the central part of the province of Quebec where an old guy named Larry Linton went, and you know that Larry Linton is, people love him, people hate him. And I'm going to tell you what, God has used Larry Linton in the North Country. And over and over again, I've met hundreds of people who've come to faith through this man that most churches would, wouldn't support. And I understand why they wouldn't. I mean, they'd send Larry Linton a little note and say, can you send us a detailed report of your finances? And he'd send back a note that said, if you don't trust me, drop me. I don't have time to write letters. I'm doing God's work. And isn't that so true that the missionary, if he, did, if he filed all the reports that the church wanted, he'd never find time to do the work sometimes. And so Larry has been used in a powerful way. His village, we believe, has a profession rate of somewhere around 75 to 85% of trusted Christ as their Savior. Larry Linton still goes around with an old coat and he got when he went up there, I think, boots with one zipper open and the pants leg inside of it, the other pants leg out. And he just he's just a different bird. But God has used him. But we're watching a sinewy, muscled people becoming very, very overweight because of the so-called good life. They're struggling now with heart problems and diabetes and those things that they never had before because of the pop and the chips. The good life can produce blindness. Because thou sayest I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The good life can produce blindness. Sin can produce blindness. He that hates his brother, 1 John 2.11, is in darkness. And he walks in darkness. And he knows not whither he goeth because that darkness has blinded his eyes. When you have a problem with your brother, you have a problem with sin. Sin can cause blindness. A lack of prayer and Bible reading can cause blindness. Guys on the Emmaus Road were walking and Jesus came to them and they didn't even recognize him and he began to teach them the word of God through Moses and the prophets. And it says, then their eyes were opened. They saw him. 
and so a lack of prayer. And the instrument God uses to remove the blindness is his word. The entrance of thy word giveth light. And his Holy Spirit brings conviction of our need. And here's where I wanted to spend a few moments tonight because the Lord spoke to me on this and I just want to share this with you. Is it not time to deal with the bondage in chapter 2 verse 10? As he speaks about this priest who is carrying holy meat and when he touches something, does that thing that he touches become holy? The answer is no. And then the priest, if he touches a dead body and he's defiled, does everything he touches become defiled? Yes, it does. Let me read you some of the observations I wrote down first from this passage. You can't pass on health or holiness. The sick person is not healed by somebody else's health. Chances are the other person is made sick. It doesn't matter whether you are baptized or confirmed or church membership. All of those things can't bring holiness. It must be when the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and the Holy Son of God is on our hearts. So you can't pass on health or holiness. The second thing I jotted down was this. You can be contaminated quickly. And amazing how quickly we can go down. At teen camp, I had a girl stand up on the table. And I said to her, pull me up. And she yanked and yanked and yanked and yanked. And finally, I just gave her a little tug. She came flying off the table. They said, you see, it's a lot easier to go down than it is to go up. So you can be contaminated here. And then you can exert a powerless influence on others. Now, let me just share this with you. In Matthew chapter 10, the disciples are given power to cast out demons and do all kinds of things, miraculous things. In Matthew chapter 17, a man brings his child to Jesus, or to the disciples, and they can't cast out the demon. What has happened between Matthew chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 17? They have lost their power with God. And, uh, and so they say to Jesus, he casts them out, why couldn't we do that? And he said, this kind comes forth, but by prayer and fasting. Already their prayer life was wavering. And then you find the lady brings her sons to Jesus. When you set up your kingdom, make sure one of my sons is on the right hand, the other is on the left hand. And so they were a powerless influence. You can exert a powerless influence on others. And here's the one that hit me hard. Recovering lost holiness is never easy. Now, they had made some decisions here to come back and to start to build and to get right. And yet they were still going and saying, hey, the oil is not up to where it used to be. And the crops are not what they used to be. It's not that God wasn't going to answer. What had been lost was not coming back instantly. I jotted this down when we fall away. To get back where we once were takes much prayer and much discipline and much devotion and much faithfulness on a pretty regular basis. And I've asked this question across the land because it's a concern to me 
for my, my own life. It's a concern when I see people who have been so faithful fall away. And I say to pastors, do these people ever come back to God? And they say, yes, they do. And I say, what brings them back? And they say, pain every time. Pain. Difficulty. Diagnosed with a terminal disease sometimes. So recovering lost holiness. It takes me a long time to build up that daily devotional walk with God. The Word is a natural thing. It takes a while to build up where you naturally share Christ with people. And how quickly that can go down and how slow it might get it back again. Now, listen to some of the poems. William Cowper's hymn, All for a Closer Walk with God. Listen to what he says. Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? What peacefulness I once enjoyed. How sweet their memory still. But they have left an aching void the world can never fill. Return, O holy dove, return, sweet messenger of rest. I hate the sins that make thee mourn and drove thee from my breast. The dearest idols I have known, whatever that idol be, Help me tear it from the throne and worship only thee. You know, he's saying, take time. What did the hymn writer said? Take time to be holy. Walked off with the Lord. Recovering lost ground is never an instant process. You know, I remember when I got saved, I was uh, still listening to a lot of worldly music. Waylon Jennings, and Willie Nelson, and all those birds. I was smoking a pipe, and um, I, I had a lot of liquor in my house because in the business world, you wine them and dine them and get them drunk and get them to sign their life away. So when I got saved, I began to, to work on some of these things. And Matt was preaching one time, and he said, when you put a life together... When you put a puzzle together, you start with the outside pieces because they're flat. When you put a life together, you put in the centerpiece. And then God begins from the center and works all the way out. So I remember getting, get, getting to the point where I wondered if smoking was a sin. I just had this big old crooked pipe and a packet full of sale tobacco. And I drive down through town as a young guy with my telescopic steering wheel pulled out, my power seat stepped back, tantalizing all the other businessmen that still hadn't made it. Arrogant, rude, punk. Uh, so my first question was, is smoking wrong? And I went to see Barry Beebe, who was a pastor in that town, and uh, he, he'd come to plant the Amherst Alton Bible Church. And he said, you're not going to find a, a, a commandment that says, thou shalt not smoke. But I don't see any point in going to heaven smelling like hell. Wow, that was pretty plain, Jane. And I remember kicking open my kitchen door and firing my pipe as far as I could. I, I'm moving ahead. And then I was still listening to that music, but I always listened beside the window so I could pull the curtain back in case the pastor came. I turned that off if the pastor came. And then your wife, did you ever notice how your wife is the Holy Spirit of the home? She just has a way of saying things that just cuts right across. And my wife said, God's been here all along. Don't tell me God's listening to Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson. And I... I get rid of all of that stuff, and I move ahead. 
And then I started, uh, uh, so what about drinking? And I just decided that nothing I had seen with alcohol was any good, so I just went to my cabinet one time and I just poured everything down the old tubes, down the sink, moved ahead. I put a lot of distance now between where I used to be and where I am. I was studying God's word and praying. Every time the church doors opened, I went. Then you get to the point where you say, you know what, I got a handle on this thing. I, I can really do this now. I got this God thing wired. You start getting a little careless. And all of a sudden you slip back a little bit, not praying like you used to. Maybe just a little drink because I can handle it now. Uh, maybe, maybe I could take one cigarette. Wouldn't hurt. All of a sudden I'm right back where I used to be. I think that's what the prayer of Jabez was all about. Lord, enlarge my boundaries. Nation of Israel had pushed the enemy to the, to the very border. Then the enemy began to push him back and push him back and push him back. And Jabez said, Lord, renew my boundaries. Listen to this. This is a writer named Williams from Britain. This is a statement that shook my world last night. The principle also applies to the life of the church. For many years, the church in the life of Britain seems to have lost its bearings. The preaching of God's word has been seriously neglected in pulpits, and social issues have been on the agenda at the expense of the care of people's souls. But it is simplistic to suppose that it is impossible to recover that lost ground through new forms of worship and new methods of communication. Did you see that? <laughs> they see they have lost ground. What do we need to do? We'll find some new way, a new method, or a new form of worship, and that will bring us back. No, it won't. There must be genuine repentance for us to get back. Fancy buildings won't do it. Glitzy forms of presentations won't do it. He said, revival or recovery will only come, if at all, in response to a genuine spirit of repentance and brokenness expressing both need of revival and of the way that God has ordained. He goes on to say this, that can be a long and painful process. This principle is so clearly articulated in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Isn't that amazing? That was really got a hold of me that says, Seeley, you need to start examining your life to see where erosion has taken place, to see sometimes where you are not right with somebody and just ask, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I hunger for that in my life. And I hunger for the power of God. Do you know the Old Testament when the guy lost his axe head? And, and, and it, it fell in the water and it sunk. And the poor guy's left with a handle. Now, if he was today, he, he wouldn't let anybody know he lost his axe head. He'd just start beating on trees with a handle and let everybody impress everybody with all the noise. Well, there ain't no wood getting cut. Finally, he comes back to the very spot. And he admits, I need help. 
And he comes to the prophet, and the prophet puts a stick in there, causes the axe head to float. Now he gets the axe head. Listen, the axe head's the power of God. You can't split wood with a handle. You need the axe head. And the power of God, when it is gone, we have to admit it and get back to where we see our desperate need of it. It's time to stop beating on trees with axe handles. I want to stop because it's over time, but just to say this, it's possible for God's people to be unclean, as he says here. Just because you have all of the machinery working doesn't mean we're clean. Jesus said that, Verily I say unto you that whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. It is possible for God's people to be addicted, sometimes to food, Tim Horton's coffee, drug addictions, whether narcotic or pharmaceutical, alcoholic addictions, gambling, pornography. I sometimes have a chance to speak at Gambling Anonymous in Moncton. Here's what I heard a lady say. They deal with their sin. Every time they speak, they have to identify themselves. My name is Joe Blow. I'm a gambling addict. I'm a compulsive gambler, is what he says. And the lady said, "When well, I can't even listen to radio anymore because I hear the announcer saying, the third call will win. That gets me thinking about gambling. Then I realize I got 20 bucks in my pocket and I'm going to go down, buy the ticket, or I'm going to go down to the casino, and she's entrapped. So it's possible for God's people to be in bondage. I need to come clean. I, I just, I'm going to read this to you, and then I've then I got to quit. I've drawn up a little personal accountability thing for my own life. I don't know who's going to be my accountability partner, but I've come to the conclusion I need one. Now, I have a board member I call every week. Do you know what? I gave him some questions. Now he doesn't ask me anymore. Because, well, you just say, hey, everything's going good. But maybe I can use the lack of questioning to avoid some things. I jotted things down in, in three areas. One is the area of marriage. And here's the questions I'm going to give to, my, to, to whoever it is. Did you have a good relationship with your wife this week? Number two, did you encourage her? How? Words, a note, a gift, a meal? Did you help her spiritually, physically, emotionally? Because I think it's important that I have some accountability in my marriage. My ministry, were you faithful in church? Did you read your Bible faithfully this week? Give me something that was a blessing to you. How's your prayer life over the past week? Go to prayer meeting? Did you have a chance to witness, give out a tract, lead anyone to Christ? Did you visit anyone? Were you able to reach out to anyone who was struggling? Ministry questions. Morals. Did you see anything unwholesome this week on television, DVD, video, internet, magazines? Did you hear anything unwholesome this week? Did you feel you were in danger at any time? Did you take any unwholesome substance into your body? Did you participate in any activities that were not glorifying to God? And I want someone to go over those with me on a, on a regular basis. Uh, just because of the condition, the world around me. There is, a, is it not time to deal with building God's work? Is it not time to deal with our blindness? God, open my eyes and help me to see.
Is it not time to deal with the bondage of sin in my life? And the last one in Haggai, is it not time to deal with broadcasting the word of God? The seed is the seed yet in the barn. And I'm going to stop there tonight. But we need to be planting the seed of the word of God. Listen, you will never know. My son and I, for years I've been hearing about a guy named Teddy Lynch. Maybe you've heard of Teddy Lynch. Maybe you've seen him on television. He's got a couple of songs that have hit the charts. Teddy Lynch records in Nashville, Tennessee. He always wanted to meet him because people keep saying to me, you got to meet Teddy. He just, he writes his own songs, he plays the guitar, and he's just constantly leading people to Jesus. My son and I decided to find Teddy Lynch. We went on YouTube. I'm a high-tech redneck. <laughs> and we found Teddy Lynch. And here was his song. It's called The Addiction. Talks about how he used to be addicted to drugs, but now he's addicted to Jesus. Here's was his words. I was into drugs heavily back in 1998. I was in Woodstock jail doing time for drugs. The guy came in one night in 1998 and he gave a concert and he preached the gospel message. And I came to know Christ as my savior. The guy's name was Ed Seeley. Isn't that amazing? A seed that was planted that I had no idea what God did with it. How many of those are out there that we don't even know about? As we plant, as we share, as we broadcast the seed, you'd be amazed at what God would do. When I think about that, I always think about the guys that when we built our home on the 12th green of the golf course in Amherst, and we saw an ad in the newspaper, we couldn't believe the price for landscaping. We called the guys and said, we want you to do our yard. When they arrived in our yard, there was two big old farmers, huge guys, with an old wagon filled with sheep manure. A wagon looked like it was going to fall apart. Can you imagine you're on the rich side of town getting landscape done, and they want you to make sure you got your stuff up to snuff? And then I said, uh, how are you going to plant this? He said, we're going to plant oats first. I said, I, I really would like to have grass, if you don't mind. He said, oh, don't worry about that, Sonny. We plant the oats first. The oats develop a root system. And they'll just hold all kinds of moisture in the grass that we'll plant afterwards. It'll be fine. And these two guys got a sack on each side, one around the neck here, one around the neck this way, and they began to work my yard. I was hoping the neighbors weren't looking. <laughs> they called it broadcasting. That's the name they gave it, broadcasting the seed. And that's what we should seek to do, to see people come to Christ. A little gospel track here. Um, you can help somebody. You know, back in um, a number of years ago, we had visited a home. They were going to cut a guy's power off. We were able to pay it for him in this past year. Teresa and I had a real need for money. We went to our door and an envelope fell out of the door and it had $600 in it. It said, you paid my power bill back in 2002. 
It's time to pay back. And we saw that family come to faith in Christ. All mom and dad and all, all the kids. Is it not time to deal with building our personal lives, our families, our churches? Is it not time to deal with the blindness? Oh God, open my eyes and help me to see this world lost without Christ. Lord, is it not time to deal with those crazy things in my life that have just been there too long? Gotta go. Then is it not time to deal with broadcasting the Word of God? And I know you might be terrified, but there's four ways you can share your faith. Number one, with your life. Let your life, just get your life where it needs to be. Second, with your light. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Just, get, just start ministering to people, helping people, diving into people's lives. And when they ask you, why do you do this? Because of Christ. You can witness with your lips. Give your testimony. Go to Acts 22, Acts 26. Read Paul's testimony. It'll take you three to five minutes. That's all it takes to give a word of testimony. On a plane, at an airport sometimes. Just a brief word of testimony. I was at the Edmonton Oilers game. It was sold out. I called my son said, I'd like to go to the game. He said, Dad, you want to go to the game? I said, I want to go to the game. And he called up Kevin Lowe, and Kevin Lowe said, have your dad and your mom sit in the box seats with us. They are the, I guess the, at least they manage the Oilers, or I don't know what they're, direct the Oilers. And my son said this to me, Dad, whatever you do, don't preach. You know, at least he said for the first part of the game. Because <laughs> we might get kicked out of there. But I didn't preach until three minutes left in the third period. And then when one of the Oilers, the captain, Ethan Morrow, and his dad was beside me, he said, Mr. Seeley, what is it you do for a living? And my son was down here, and I saw him look over his shoulder and said, here we go, here we go. And so we had a chance to talk to the, those guys about the Lord. On a plane coming back from Colorado, Mr. Plane, they put us on the next plane and no space except for the business class. And that's where we were sitting in the business class. I'm sitting beside a lady. She says, I got my doctorate in, 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 uh, in, in uh, communications. And she's showing me this PowerPoint presentations that she's correcting for teachers. I'm fascinated. She said, oh, I also have my doctorate in theology. He said, really? I just got a certificate. I said, let me ask you this. Along the way, did you ever, did you ever come to a personal confrontation with the Lord Jesus Christ along that journey? She said, oh, yes, I did. I said, how'd that happen? She said, one day I woke up and everything was emerald green. The sky was emerald green. The walls of my house were emerald green. The food on the table was emerald green. I just had this experience. I, I'm just assured I'm going to heaven. Well, I started talking to her about skies that are blue. And I heard my grandson say behind me, Grampy's at it again. We need to be at it again. Let's pray together tonight, please. Father, what a great church. And Lord, tonight I just felt in my own heart as I was looking at those passages once again in the book of Haggai that something needs to happen in our hearts. Um, 
things need to be mended sometimes. Things need to be admitted sometimes. The power of God is gone. I need to have it back. I need to go back to where I lost it. Lord, I pray you'd help us just as individuals to begin with ourselves and find out is there some things that I could do that would just clear the way so the Spirit of God can bring a measure of revival to my own heart. And then, Lord, over the years, we've always had some problems that have gone on all of our churches that we attend that sets the work back so far sometimes and it seems to take us forever to get back. And Lord, we've gone through that in several churches we've been part of. And, and, and Lord, I pray somehow if there's ways, Lord, in Ontario I saw a young man just take a split and bring that thing back together in a wonderful revival. Wow, that was really neat to see. Lord, one of the students from the Bible school did that. And then, Lord, maybe there's a need in our families to get where we need to be with each other. Maybe it's my neighbors, I don't know. But, Lord, tonight, your Holy Spirit, might you help us to see that just going on and building and developing new techniques or new forms of worship or music or new technologies are not going to do it. The matter of the heart, Lord, is, is where it's at, is the heart of the matter. Lord, I, I, I don't know about my brothers or sisters gathered here, but I need you certainly, please, to begin the work in my own heart. Help me to trace my steps, and Lord, if there needs to be apologies made, if there needs to be um, something done to enhance something, I don't know what it's going to take, but Lord, you guide me carefully and give me the courage to follow through and to humble myself if need be. And so I pray that for my brothers and sisters in Christ tonight. I know this is kind of a hard message and there's hurting people here, but oh God, the sweetness when the Spirit of God begins to move and people get saved and we're filled with the joy of the Lord. What a neat, it's just so neat to be part of that, Lord. And so tonight, if there's anybody here without Christ, Help them to see their need of him tonight and to come to him. And then, Lord, just help us to make some resolutions in our own life as we leave tonight, what we're going to do and where we're going to go next with this. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can see the guitar if you like uh, afterwards. And so, God bless you. Let me see. Let me see. Brother Keith, you want to dismiss it? Are you okay? Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it.